Madam Clerk, are we good to go? Yes, sir. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the uh, June 22nd, 2022 uh, QPSC. Um, let's start off with a roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee will be joining us shortly. Trustee Bouquet? Here. Trustee Esteem? Here. Trustee Jensen is excused, so we do not yet have a quorum. Yes, ma'am. Um, we always start off with the purpose of the QPSC, so I'm going to read the purpose of the QPSC. The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. So that's why we're here. We try to remind ourselves of the purpose. As a side note um, uh, to all, we're, we're in process of evolving our charters across all the committees. So maybe we might make some slight adaptations to that in the near future. So with that, um, let's, let's uh, open up for any public comment if there is any, Madam Clerk. I have none. Okay. Um, given that, um, the article uh, uh, chosen for this uh, session was entitled, 96% of customers will leave you for bad customer service. So I, I always like to tell a little bit of the story of the why. So I was uh, taking care of a patient last week. So I have to, we have to turn the articles in on Friday. And again, I'm gonna encourage uh, the senior staff and the other trustees, please, uh, and, and, and any physicians, don't hesitate to refer articles. We're, we're happy to uh, entertain them. So I was taking care of a patient last week and they were telling me what a bad experience they had at an other unnamed health system and they were happy to be here. And they said, and I will quote, never go back to them. And uh, that sort of stuck with me. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it was sort of a theme on customer service that, that, that I wanted to talk about uh, or for us to talk about. So uh, it's a relatively short article. I'm, I'm gonna bring out sort of the, con the, the conclusions for everybody. And then I'd like us to, to have a little bit of a brief discussion on customer service. If you have an example of a bad customer service episode, which made you leave something, that might be cool to talk about. So sort of in conclusion, number one, the customer decides if you meet and or exceed their expectations. You may think you deliver great service, but in the end, the customer is the judge and jury. Two, when it comes to customer service, our customers are smarter than ever. Uh, they see what good customer service is because the best companies have taught them what that is. And that's not even in healthcare. Because of number two, customers no longer compare you only to your direct competition. They compare you to the best service they've ever received from anyone. If you think you only have to be better than your direct competitor, you, you're probably wrong. The benchmark may be set by companies outside of your industry. So that's sort of what I have to say. I'll open it up to, to uh, Trustee Esteen, uh, anyone in our small gallery, uh, uh, starting off with our administrators who have any comments on, on customer service, because I think, we're, I think we're striving to get there. Trustee Esteen, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you for asking. You know, I think this short and sweet article um, hits the nail on the head that we have to really make sure we're always keeping in mind so much more than what hospital systems do. Um, 
And I think that that is something that we don't necessarily consider it as a baseline. Um, you know, I often think like, well, if a patient's coming to a hospital, they know they're going to get medical care. But it's interesting to think about if someone gets excellent customer service at a restaurant. I worked at a hotel in college, and I can remember in some team building exercise, a guy saying, I went to a restaurant and when the ice cube started to melt in my glass, even though I hadn't had a drink of water, they came and brought me a fresh glass of water. And that was the best service I ever got. And I was like, oh, that sounds like you were at a fancy restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a college student. I had never experienced anything like that. But it, it's those experiences that absolutely create the baseline in our mind. And if we as professionals, as people who work in service and providing care for folks, always imagine that we are giving someone that I'm here before the ice melts experience. Um, you know, I'm here with your wound care before the bandage hurts you. I'm going to make sure you're not, you're relieved of pain. Or when you leave the surgical suite, I'm going to make sure that you are prepared uh, to return well. I, I think that that's, that's something that really gives people something to hold on to. So I can appreciate that our, um, that all of the movements that the health system is making are towards this end, towards making sure our patients have a memorable experience that keeps them coming back. Yeah, thanks Trustee Esteem. Um, any of our, uh, Mr. Fratsky, good evening, sir. Good evening. Um, going through the SCORE debriefings in our organization, it struck me um, that again, that customer service not only extends to our patient, but it extends to each other um, as we work day to day throughout um, our roles at the hospital and the clinics and everywhere. I think sometimes we lose track of that um, in, our, in our day to day work. But, you know, people internally, when we work together, expect good customer service as well. So it's a broad term that's applicable um, internally as well. Yes, sir, Mr. Fresky, I think you're exactly right. We are customers of our own system as well. Uh, and I think that's a great comment. I'll go to Dr. Tornabene in a second, but let the record note that Trustee Banerjee has arrived. So we now have a quorum. Good evening, Trustee Banerjee. Probably uh, just logging in, but there she is. Good, Good evening, evening, Trustee Banerjee. Uh, no, no, no apologies necessary. We're just talking about the article on customer service and I know how good you are about reading. Dr. Tornabene, good evening. Hi, good evening. Uh, yeah, actually just um, being customers of our system, I, I had the recent experience of being a patient in the Alameda ED recently. Thank you, Dr. Bouquet, under the care of Dr. Bouquet there. Um, and the, um, and what was it, what was, it was, I, I had an amazing experience there at Alameda Hospital, but there was one moment that in particular struck me with respect to, to customer service. So um, my nurse, that uh, evening was just so amazing. And, you know, he was taking great care of me. And then about an hour, maybe an hour and a half into the visit, he kind of came running into, and he said, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know you were a leader here. 
And, and I was like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and the, what I loved was he was an amazing nurse and I felt such care from him, like irrespective of whether or not I worked at AHS or not, this was clearly the level of service that he provided. And, and for that, I was just so impressed. Yeah, that was a great story. I'm glad that I'm glad that you felt that. And when you tell me about that, he didn't even know who you were which was, which is sort of the awesome part of the story. Mr. Jackson, good evening, sir. Good evening. Thank you for the opportunity to weigh in and this article. And I'm glad that I followed Dr. Tornabene because I was going to talk about the fact that one of the things that we ask our staff is, would they be willing to have themselves or their loved ones cared for at AHS? And, you know, right now, that's not something that a lot of people are willing to, uh, you know, to, to say. So it concerns me that our staff, you know, generally don't feel like this is somewhere where they would get their own care, the care of their loved ones. Um, obviously, Dr. Tornabene does. I do. Um, my sister was cared for here and uh, my, my best friend. I've received care here. And um, I hope that as we continue with this turn that we are making with AHS, more of our staff will see their way clear to choosing us um, for their healthcare home. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm going to get let Trustee Banerjee always has some great comments too. I'm going to let her acclimate in a second. But the the end of the the note uh, of, of the article is it starts with just being nice, and that's actually free. We we, we don't have to line item that as a budget thing. So nice is complex. So right, does 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 our does our staff feel safe? Do they feel valued? Do they have the energy to do that? So I think that part the organization helps to create an environment where it's easy for our customers to be nice. I mean, so our, for our employees nice. to be nice. Mm -hmm. Trustee Banerjee. Sorry guys, I've been having a intense Wi-Fi issues all day <laughs> um, today, but yeah, I think I, I think the, it's it, this article got to the crux of it because so often we know we have amazing clinicians, physicians, nurses, staff, around, but you think about like, what is the patient experience navigating our system, whether it's in the outpatient specialty, primary care and inpatient. And this really brings that like how important it is to have that be people come to us during the most vulnerable times in their lives. And so it's just so important there for folks to know like, what do I need to know? What's my prognosis? Where do I need to be? Who do I, what's my next step? So um, yeah, very timely. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. And uh, any other comments from anyone else? As I close out, I'll say, uh, these are just my opinions. I think it's much easier to be nice when you're not scared. I think it's much easier to be nice when you have some hope. And uh, that's why I'm, uh, I, I, I have some optimism for our organization. There's, there, there's this consistent, slow infusion of hope that we can be better in here. Uh, uh, so with that, um, let's all be nice. Um, I will close out item A. Let's go to item B. Um, trustees, the consent agenda is before you, before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of B1, B2, B3. Are there any items that uh, need, you feel need to be removed for discussion, trustees? I see. Not from me. 
I see shaking heads no. So may I entertain a motion, please? I'll move. Second. Uh, that was a Banerjee move, a uh, Steen second. Uh, roll call, Madam Clerk. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Excellent. So with that, we're moving along nicely. And uh, uh, I guess a, a, a thank you to the med staff because that was the one, some of the shortest reports that we'd had to read because there wasn't a lot of credentialing or policies or procedures. Item C um, is, are the medical staff reports. This is where we fulfill our charge, which is to directly engage with our medical staff leaders. We should have in the room uh, Dr. Irina Williams, Dr. Nikita Joshi, Dr. Adrisa Fazali. I think I see all three of them. And Dr. Joshi went to video first, so she gets the first um, uh, lead in for us. Good evening, Dr. Joshi. Good evening. Thank you so much. Glad to know I won the race. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my report is enclosed and divided up into the typical divisions, although I need to adjust them for the pillars of our new rotunda per the strategic plan. Uh, but under quality and patient safety, so I want to highlight that for the LeapFrog Hospital Safety Grade, we have a grade B for spring of 2022. Uh, B may not sound great, but it's an improvement from C where we were before. So we are definitely going in the right direction. So I am very proud of that. Our age caps ratings, um, performance were meeting goal. Um, also, we've mentioned the nursing QRC. Uh, we've had some really good dialogue with Dr. Lofton in a lot of the various physician leadership meetings about how that process will work for the nursing QRC. So really excited about the momentum that is being generated and the work that's already being done uh, through that committee. Under operations, we're working on patient throughput. Uh, we're working closely with the AIM leadership with Dr. Isolani to identify pain points in throughput. And a lot of it comes down to communication when there will be gaps in services, when services are, um, you know, going on hold or not. And so we've identified a lot of ways to improve and looking forward to continuing to improve for our patient throughput. In fact, we had a great meeting with Dr. Tornabene and Dr. Isolani earlier today about that. With the transfer center, we continue to work on modifying our workflows and not just with the transfer center, but if you'll notice under C, strengths and STEMI pathway, with our cardiology leadership at a system level, we have been able to come up with a pathway for patients who are diagnosed with an NSTEMI that actually will go across system-wide so that the care that is at Alameda and San Leandro ED will be the same and move towards move patients towards the Highland ED, which is where our cath center is for STEMI patients if the need arises. This pathway was developed in conjunction with our system-wide cardiology leaders, Dr. Cheleskaya, with our community cardiology leaders, our community ED docs, and our um, community hospitalists. So I think this is a huge win, a huge strength of what collaboration can continue to look like. Uh, we've talked about joint commission. We did great. Med staff did not have any findings. We were glad to hear Mr. Jackson present the strategic plan and um, the the presentation was great. We've sent out the full deck to the med staff leadership. We continue to 
think about how to improve patient experience. And we will have our first cohort work group that thinks about and is trained on patient experience. That will happen in August. Opportunities of continue to work on how interfacility transfers happen from AH to AHS. Uh, lots of variability there because of complexities and nuances for critically ill patients. We recently found some opportunities for STEMI patients that are developing on the inpatient and looking, and we've identified opportunities of how to improve communication of that pathway, which already exists of how to communicate that and share that with nurse leaders and physician leaders. We are going to be forming our professionalism standards committee. In addition with Dr. Williams and HS, we will have our first training coming of July 14th. Um, one opportunity we have identified within AH is an opportunity for thinking about what leadership training could look like across the board for chairs of our departments. And we've talked internally within the AHMEC, and we hope to be able to engage with the administration of what training and leadership training can look like for our chairs and our chiefs. So more to come on that. Um, key concerns still include um, consultants and access to subspecialists. Uh, we looked at some recent re-examining of our access to neurosurgery, our access to ICU. So we continue to work with Dr. Turner Benny there and continue to make good progress. Um, and staffing is, continues to be a problem, but um, we've been meeting with Dr. Lofton once a week about what can be ways to leverage our resources, even with short staffing of how we can improve patient throughput. So that those meetings have been quite fruitful. And that's the extent of my report. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Joshi on that report, that report's in the packet. Dr. Joshi, my question is relatively simple and, and then not. Um, how do we quantify success on when we have a concern? For example, on staffing, how do we know whether we're going in the right direction? What are the quants that you and your team use to say staffing is no better than it was a month ago, it is better or it's the same? Can you talk us through that, the quantification of assessment? I think some of that is patients that we are able to see per hour, um, patients who are waiting to be seen. You know, we have standard metrics that Epic helps us with, for example, door to doctor time, doctor to disposition time. Those are standards across the industry. Uh, and then when we are short staffed, it just means that those times get longer and longer. But getting better or improving those numbers is really variable. Also, the intangible of that is burnout right. and stress. Yeah. And that is, it's exhausting to be working at a pace that, um, I mean, really the emergency department is 24 hours, right? So even if your shift is eight hours or nine hours or 12 hours, you can be sprinting the entire time. Yeah. So that's an important part. But I would say, um, objectively speaking, these standard metrics, subjective is Burnout, are you excited to go to work? Um, are you willing to be a team player and, and go the extra mile when challenges arise? And most of the time people will say yes, but once burnout starts to hit, become a factor, people start to say no more often. Yeah. So there are, again, I think that's a nice assessment. There are qualitative and quantitative metrics. So I guess is, 
are are our times are getting worse or are our times getting better? And 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 if that relates to staffing, again, I'm just trying to find the metrics for how to determine because otherwise these problems feel intractable, right? When we don't have the data set, you know, qualitative might do you feel burnout? Do we have a, a tool which is measuring how burnout is actually progressing? We're the same as we were, we weren't because as we all know, our human mind, myself included, I, we remember our, our, our last worst experience and that sort of clouds everything. Um, uh, and so I, I, I wanna, you know, maybe in future, talk to us about the quant and, the, and, and even the, the quant qualitative data. You know? Yeah, and I can uh, even, in future, we can even make a presentation. And as I'm sure many of you know, Ida Sazali and I work very closely together Aside from our roles on the board, he's the director of the San Leandro ED and the director of the Alameda ED. So we work very closely to look at our metrics. So we would happily give a presentation to show how the numbers have been looking. Um, the other thing is that, which is hard to capture in Epic, but where we see the patients. So when we start to board in the ED, which means that there's an admitted patient that is unable to go upstairs, whether it's because there's no physical space upstairs or no staffing upstairs, then those admitted patients stay in the emergency department. And now our emergency department patients, we have less rooms to see them. And so we move to chairs, the waiting room, or even sometimes in COVID just outside. We saw many patients just simply outside. Um, and those, that data is harder to capture within Epic, but it really speaks to volume. So even in those instances, when our door-to-doctor, our door-to-dispo times are quick, the fact is we may not be able to see the patients to the same degree as we would if they had been in a traditional bed in a gown. Got it. So we can work on that with Dr. Zali. That's a great and, thing. And, and it can be a simple assessment, but I'm just try trying to give you the trustee perspective. All of our trustees have been seeing uh, uh, I know it's not up on the screen, but there are key concerns are consults and access to subspecialists, and then two is staffing. These two things have really basically been on every report for the past year. So from a trustee perspective, we can't tell whether this is better or worse. And that's part of our fiduciary responsibility is to help guide that. So that, that kind of data can help us to understand tractability or intractability of problems. So yeah, and some of that consider. is also, you know, two years ago, two plus years ago when the pandemic started, we had different problems than we do now. Right. You know, there was Delta, there was Omicron, there is BA, whatever number we're on now. And so every time we felt that we were catching up, we got slammed again. And it's this hiccuping that really makes it hard to even showcase in the data. Um, but um uh, to be frank, Idris is the wizard in all these things. So that's why I'm throwing his name out there with me. We will gladly show what we have. You know, scale and scope is always important for us. For example, I, I love hearing that you said that the leapfrog score was a B this spring. Do you know what our leapfrog score at Alameda Hospital was in the spring of 2020? I think it was a C. Nope. What was it? It was an F. Oh, yes. Yep. So, so if we relatively... If we look at relative, you know, if we if we step back and, and look at the scale of the data, whenever we're just looking right here, we're like, uh, B is okay. But in relative terms. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna. Wow, how handy. <laughs> so so, so uh, uh, relative is, is, is always a nice kind of thing to consider. So 
you know, con th there are some successes happening at Alameda Hospital as manifested by some of these data. So, uh, and we still have problems to, to address. So thank you for advocating for, for the hospital. Absolutely, thank you for allowing me to present my report. Of course. Uh, Rukit, I did have a question. Yeah, uh, go for it, Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, I wanted to know the chair's um, education and training that you mentioned, I think is so necessary again. And is that something that has been, we can build on that, that had been happening? I don't know the chairs that are here, including our board chair as at the core, have y'all had kind of, you know, chairs, education and training specifically from that kind of leadership vantage? I'm not sure what has been happening historically, but recently, um, not so much. Many people embark on training through their own CMEs and, you know, maybe training through their own societies, like for me, emergency medicine. But it would be really nice to have something um, that we are doing also for cohesive and for teamwork of culture building would be really fantastic. Yeah, this is like absolutely essential. So I hope that whoever uh, is happening and that it would be at San Leandro as well and that it would be because the peer experience of doing this together as a collective is also, and there are like such contextual things that are so specific and hyperlocal to each. And, and so it's both and, like you need to, you know, have that to deal with your own age or Highland or San Leandro or John George, but there's the collectiveness that you said of building more cohesiveness. And I think trust as well, because so often um, I think for the folks, the physician groups that are um, in the community hospitals, just because of physical proximity, it's hard to, one feels like one hears things later than others sometimes. And that's a perception, but I think that's a perception with anyone who's in even the ambulatory, I'm sure is, is has have that core, have that experience as well. But this, thank you for doing that. This is a very necessary part of, um, of, of uh, professional development. Thank you. And then follow up Trustee Banerjee, the organization does have leadership offerings. Um, throughout, you know, uh, uh, you know, I attended one about a month ago. There was, there was, there's a, there, there's the next set which are now, which I'm, I think I'm going to go to on Friday or something like that. So there are leadership offerings. It's just, it's sort of like the coalescing and the focus of it. I think that's where our opportunity is. But so know that the organization has invested in these things, how we roll it out and how we manage people going through it. I think that's our next best opportunity. Different from the leadership academy, which is much more general, right? This yes. is very more specific to like chairs. And yeah, so that that part we don't have, which would be focused on chairs per se. Um, uh, but but you're, but I, I think that's a great opportunity for us as we focus into specific groups. Good comment. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Hi, Dr. Williams. How are you doing this evening? Hi. Good evening. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, I guess it's my turn to present the report, right? Yes, yes ma'am. <laughs> All right. So um, 
will be presenting the AHS medical staff report. Um, uh, we um, had a few great presentations at the last MEC from a number of committees. Ethics Committee has shared um, highlights of some of the important work that they're doing within AHS. Um, so we do have an Ethics Committee that provides um, ethics uh, ethics related consultations to our patients and our providers and they shared some of the um, nuances of their workflow and their availability and um, that was very helpful for us to hear. Um, they also plan on doing annual retreat and grand rounds to really help educate um, our providers on the issues of ethics. Uh, sometimes it can be quite challenging to navigate. Uh, the Department of Pediatrics also presented their annual report to the MEC um, with a lot of great work that they're doing um, for our health system. Um, they have also shared uh, that they were able to obtain a number of grants to support some of the projects that are happening within the department. So there's definitely a lot of growth. Um, uh, uh, we did um, have a presentation of the strategic plan by Mr. Jackson. So thank you so much for sharing that with um, AHS medical staff. It was very helpful to um, uh, see the final version of it as, you know, we are in the board meeting, so we have uh, been more involved with those discussions, but it was great to have the MEC um, be a part of that as well. Um, some of the key concerns that I've listed, I think the number one concern remains staff and provider shortages. We're still dealing with um, challenges with staffing um, across inpatient and outpatient uh, sites um, related to COVID as well as other absences and um, provider burnout does contribute to the absences. Um, some providers, um, in particular on the ambulatory side uh, and in particular in the primary care side have actually been decreasing um, their hours and requesting to reduce sort of the number of clinics that they're doing kind of go more part-time and that's sort of a concerning uh, trend that we're seeing. So um, I think the two and a half years of pandemic as well as a pretty significant clinical load that um, in particular primary care providers I experience has been catching up so uh, with with them. Uh, so that definitely remains a concern um, on our end. Um, uh, in, another item here um, that I listed is the department chair recruitment. We are uh, continuing to search for uh, the chairs of the Department of Emergency Medicine, as well as orthopedics. Um, there's been some concerns expressed about, again, the, the, the model and the support for um, the chairs, in particular for the Department of Orthopedics and sort of how we see this position and what type of candidate can work best um, for the needs of our health system. Um, unfortunately, at present, we, we do not have um, any candidates that were deemed viable. So the search is still ongoing, but it was definitely a very helpful discussion to learn more about um, the challenges and sort of the vision for, for the role and how we can design um, the search and the uh, recruitment strategy to feed the needs of AHS best. Um, it is unfortunate that we've been having such challenges finding candidates for that chair role, but I think the chair search committee is doing their best um, 
and they're being creative um, about it. Uh, um, we have also um, had a discussion about the Joint Commission um, visit to Alameda Hospital, which is not within our medical staff. However, um, it was helpful to um, hear about the findings uh, and sort of um, have that shared with the AHS medical staff and um, learn from that experience and make sure that we sort of take a system system level approach and um, don't um, treat this um, issues in isolation and look at it more as a system-wide opportunity for improvement. Um, and that concludes my report. Thank you, Dr. Williams. Trustees, any questions of, of, of Dr. Williams? The continuing issues that you mentioned, um, medical hold policy, is that the antibiotic or is that something else? Oh, I don't believe I mentioned the medical hold. Um, okay. It was in the notes, um, but, but um, possibly when Dr. Absali comes in, um, we'll hear about that. The that might be patient IDT. So some of those I wanted to know a little bit more about that. If there's what, what about, but um, I don't know what an unrepresented is. It someone who's not able to like um, linguistic or advocate needing an advocate because is not able to um, work on their care, care plan through. Um, I'm on page 44. Am I seeing the right one? The committee reports where you spoke about the ethics and the. Um, oh, I see. You referred to the ethics committee report. Yeah, yeah. So okay. After that, below that, there was another one was the continuing issues. And I wanted to know, like, provider moral distress um, and the unrepresented patients. Like, is there anyone who could add a little bit more? Yeah, un yeah unrepresented. Yeah, that's also part of the ethics committee report. I, so, I, yes, I think they shared some of the challenges that they um, that they still trying to um, to figure out around how they approach an unrepresented patient and incapacitated patient from the ethics perspective. So these okay. are some of the areas where there is still room for improvement from the ethics committee perspective, and that's something they work on. But um, I don't believe they shared any more specific details. It's just something that's on their radar, and it's something that they're trying to um, address. Thank you, um, Chair. Just a request: Are these the are these trainings recorded? Because I think for understanding some of these issues that the um, from the ethical, I know that we do some trainings on the board, and then we have our handbook and things. But it would be really nice to kind of understand at a granular level, what are some of these, you know, more um, issues that folks have, like the, the provider moral distress is something like I'm very interested in, if, you know, um, ha had that shared with me by providers, not just in this system, in other places too, but like I, it would be nice for, from the trustee perspective to understand some of the issues here as well. So I, Trustee Banerjee, that's a great comment. And I don't know how these are formally recorded or if they are. Dr. Williams, are, are you following our chain of discussion here with Trustee Banerjee? These are these are uh, these continuing issues, particularly around moral distress uh, uh, and, and all these kinds of things. How do, from an MEC perspective, 
how are these recorded and then sort of, you know, caught not codified, how are these recorded and uh, for posterity? So we have a context of where we were to where we are. Do these, are these discussed in the form of the ethics committee? Question mark. So I think in that section, we can probably sort of virtually divide into buckets. One, uh, the um, uh, questions and issues around uh, patient part of it, right? Then unrepresented patient, patient and capacitated patient. And the other one is more, I guess, towards the provider well-being, right? The moral distress and um, resource allocation with multiple sort of um, COVID-related um provider and staffing shortages that we may be having. So my, I, I believe that's what um, the, the part that we're looking at. Um, I am not sure how ethics committee tracks these types of um, incidents and if they have sort of formal way of doing that or not, um, we can, we, I can follow up with them and try to find out a little bit more details if that's helpful yeah thank you and maybe at some follow at a future um full board meeting we might have uh, a presentation from the ethics committee so then we can you know that would be a good way for us to know what are some of the issues that you know are ones that our providers are grappling with and what are the ones that are patients that we feel that we need to so it could be um an agenda item later like is putting it out there, Chair. Yeah, I, no, I think, uh, Madam Clerk, let's put this on a, as a tracking item towards the end. A report back from okay. the Ethics Committee on their work and their issues and the, the things that they confront. Um, Thank you. Dr. Williams, will you remind me, I think Dr. English is the co-chair of the Ethics Committee, and I'm sad to report I can't write off the top of my head who remember. Is it co-chair? So Dr. Singer presented. That's right. Um, I think Dr. Singer is a co-chair. So mm -hmm. that's right. Who's also presented to us. So I'll put that. Uh, thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Madam Clerk, let's put that on our tracking list sometime in the near future to, to hear back from the Ethics Committee what, what they confront, what their challenges are, how they're resourced, and how we manage the, the issues they confront. Will do. Thank you, Madam. I do have a question. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Williams, you mentioned, the, and I know I've missed a few meetings, so forgive me if this has already been discussed, but I haven't heard about findings from the Joint Commission. And I don't know if that's coming in a future meeting or if that's something that has already been presented to the board. And if so, forgive me for not keeping up. Trustee Esteen, uh, our next section will be led by our VP of Quality. And I think uh, she can. that's a perfect entree for her at right. next section. Is that acceptable? Absolutely. Okay. Um, Dr. Williams, thanks for your report. Thank you. Good evening, Dr. Afzali. How are you tonight? Hello, good evening all. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I will hopefully have a brief uh, presentation for you. And I'd like to start at the bottom of the, of the key items uh, on the high point. Uh, Alameda and San Leandro are leading the way in uh, ED volume increases. Uh, Alameda actually leading the charge quite well, a 26% increase uh, from May of 2021 to uh, the month of May of 2022. San Leandro had a 12% increase during that month. Um, Highland essentially stayed uh, essentially unchanged. Um, and 
I'd like to just point out that uh, our community sites are, 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 are the treasure trove. This is where a lot of great stuff can happen. Um, Highland is great, but it's already great. There's, uh, I'm sure there's more that can be done there, but San Leandro and Alameda have the most potential, and I've said this at every uh, sort of meeting that I've had with, uh, with any strategic planning. Um, and, th and this uh, this data kind of shows a 26% increase uh, at Alameda, 12% at San Leandro. Uh, I hope we can use data like this to continue to nurture growth at these at these sites. Um, so this is this is great. This is going well. Um, growth like this also comes with challenges, and so some of the other key points that I'll mention uh, have already been mentioned before. And I know that uh, it's slightly. Uh, a discussion point at almost any uh, board and MEC meeting uh, of any of the East Bay hospitals because everybody's struggling with similar issues uh, with a little variation here and there. Um, I'll start out with uh, consulting uh, cardiology. We have full-time at San Leandro now, which has been a long time coming. And thank you, uh, Dr. Tornabene, for helping uh, broker that deal. Uh, this is non-invasive cardiology. Uh, and Dr. Joshi already mentioned plans for uh, are in process and I think uh, essentially complete with the workflow uh, to get patients to Highland that might require invasive cardiology. And since Highland is the only facility that can provide that, uh, working out a, a path for patients to get there as easily and as quickly as possible is uh, essential. And I believe we're, we're mostly uh, done with that process and that should be made public soon, which is uh, exciting and, and thankful that that's, that's in place. Um, we have been seeing an increase in EMS wait times, and this is, uh, I, I believe, due to their staffing troubles as well. Uh, there's one day at the San Leandro AD where we had police drop enough patients that had called 911, um, so they were trying to be helpful. Um, I didn't understand it. It was, it was strange, but it happened. I saw it with my own eyes. Um, and so uh, it's something to keep track of. It's not anything to raise alarm bells over just yet but um, we've had patients waiting longer and longer in the EDs who need transport either to, uh, for transfers or uh, discharges back to skilled nursing facilities, uh, et cetera. Um, the staffing uh, in the EDs as well as in the hospital was mentioned uh, by uh, both of my colleagues previously. Uh, it still, still continues to be a struggle and I believe all of our nursing uh, positions are all posted, uh, and everybody who's applying is looking for per diem positions, unfortunately. At San Leandro, we have uh, uh, travelers, two new travelers that are supposed to be onboarded before the end of this month, which will hopefully help with some of the squeeze. Uh, I will mention that May was probably the worst month for staffing in, in the ED. Um, not sure what it, what it was like on the inpatient side, but for the ED, May was probably the worst month. Uh, June has been challenging, but nowhere near where we were in May and where we had uh, a couple of days where the entire ED was staffed with two nurses, which is uh, a critically low number and almost non-functional. Um, but that has not happened in June, thankfully. Uh, so progress moving in the right direction. Um, equipment. Uh, continues to be an ongoing challenge. I guess I'm looking for, forward to the day when the, when the CT scanner at San Leandro is up and functional uh, because the portable one seems to be uh, having an issue almost weekly, um, which is adding to, to the delays 
uh, in the ED. Um, there was also an issue with the portable radiology machine, but that's up and running now. Um, the uh, overall, however, I think the department's kind of um, catching its groove and, and, and moving in the right direction on the inpatient side. Uh, our volume has been stable. Uh, we had been hoping for more admissions, but in light of uh, staffing uh, shortages, um, maybe it's a mixed blessing. Um, that's all I have on my, on my report for this month. I'll have a more thorough report in the month of uh, August, actually, which will be the next uh, San Leandro Leadership Committee uh, full meeting. Thank you, Dr. Afzali. Trustees, questions of Dr. Afzali. Dr. Afzali, uh, bullet point number one for you was full coverage uh, cardiology services now in effect, and you gave, uh, you tipped your hat to Dr. Tornabene, of course. Can you tell me when, uh, how long this has been an issue? Uh, well, it's been a, it's been an issue since the medical staff uh, merged. When they merged the uh, cardiology group that we had in house, uh, uh, shrunk by down to two physicians. Essentially, we have a third who does uh, pacemakers, but he hasn't. It's uh, very rare that he actually comes on site. Okay. So the two physicians are partners, and they were essentially taking call. Uh, on an as-needed basis. We, we called them when we needed them, but they didn't have a formal call schedule. Uh, and now they're, uh, it's, a, it's a formal call schedule, so they have to provide coverage when we need it. Got it. So that's, that's basically two and a half years or so. About, yeah. Yeah, okay. So congratulations to, to San Leandro Hospital and, and sort so of give us the entree into navigating what had been perceived as an intractable problem, you know? I guess that's my theme tonight is talking about our sense of intractability and kind of where we are. Oh, um, and we're hoping for a similar direction with other specialties, uh, namely gastroenterology, but hopefully in that direction as well. Working on it. Ms. Torres, can you flash that slide again? Dr. Vzali, do you know what your most recent leapfrog score is at San Leandro Hospital? The B. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Let, let, let's contextualize. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Man, two Fs in a row. So, fail, fail. Uh, yeah, a, 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 a contextualization, I, uh, I think, is a, is, a, is a great theme. Thanks, Ms. Torres. Um, trustees, any other uh, questions or comments for Dr. Afzali? Dr. Afzali, uh this is Kinkini. I wanted to know, is that, was that meeting regarding the three-day antibiotic, antibiotic. Uh, has, that, has any traction happened on that? Uh, I will have a, a better report for you next month. Admittedly, I haven't followed up on it since I uh, last wrote to, the, to their committee, to the Antibiotic Stewardship Committee uh, on mid-June, uh, and I haven't yet had a response from them, so I will follow up with them and uh, it's definitely on my agenda for the next leadership committee meeting as well. Thank you. Thanks for that follow-up point, Trustee Banerjee. Dr. Vizali, your trustees are listening to you. <laughs> um, Dr. Tornabene. Yeah, just a, a quick uh, follow-up on that. I was actually in uh, an email back and forth with the co-chairs of the Antimicrobial Stewardship Committee even just earlier this week, and they were planning on a date to invite the hospitalist chiefs to the next ASP meeting. So um, I'm, that is absolutely underway. 
Dr. Tron, of anyone, you say hospital chief, all three hospitals? Correct, because oh, we now have a chief of a chief hospitalist at Alameda. Dr. Isolani. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, exactly. wonderful. So that's great. So, so being systemly, which is always a good Correct, one. yeah. Um, I have a couple of questions. Go for it, Trustee Yassine. Um, good to know that the nursing shortage, the two nurses on in the ED was an isolated incident, but noticing these trends in volume, uh, while they're really good for business, it sounds like could also be really challenging at the same time for staffing. Um, and I see the, the note that says provider staffing needs to be adjusted. This data should be used to help guide resources and focus. What is the plan for that? Is there a plan for that that we can hear about? So guiding resources and focus to the community sites, there's not really a, a plan that I have for that. I, I wanna share this data and make it, make it public to bring to light uh, the change that's happening at the community sites. Uh, the provider staffing I am actively working on and I'm hopeful that we can adjust our numbers. We are below uh, national uh, sort of benchmarks for a number of uh, providers on staff for the number of patients that walk through our doors. And so I'm hoping to uh, bring us more in line with the national benchmarks when it comes to that. Um, and I'm working with EBMG to accomplish that. Now, and I'm definitely very hopeful that we will get there. Um, but like I said, uh, uh, the uh, you know ED, ED uh, provider staffing is just one piece of that puzzle. Um, having a, a clerk on at nights is, is critical for us and we have that now uh, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, having a, a proper ratio of nursing staff is essential uh, for the functioning of the department regardless of how many doctors are on shift. Um, you can have 10 doctors on shift, but if you don't have the proper uh, nursing support, they could all just sit there and pull their thumbs. Um, and the same goes for ED techs. Yes. Yeah. Trustee Seen, you had a few yeah. questions, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, the radiology failures also caught my attention as uh, something I'd like to hear a plan about. Um, you know, CT, and then you said, what's the other machine that wasn't? Uh, portable radiology is a brand new machine uh, that unexpectedly went down. So all patients had to go to the radiology suite for imaging. Um, and it took about 48 hours to get that um, addressed. Uh, but it's the CT that's kind of the pain point. Um, the failures are frequent on the portable machine, on the trailer. Dr. Um, Sally, do you have uh, Dr. Mr. Fratsky or Dr. Sally yeah, comment on the CT scanners at San Leandro? Yeah, so we do have a plan to replace um, the old CT scanner that is still sitting um, within the walls of, of San Leandro. Um, it's quite a big project. It requires a, a tr quite a bit of remodeling because the new CT scans are larger. Um, so we have to incur upon other space within the radiology area. Um, and the timelines for that are being worked out right now. We did select the contractor for it. And as soon as that contractor is on board and we have a project timeline, be happy to share that with Dr. Avzali, the board, or, or anybody. But so that's, and, and the money has been budgeted. Um, it was budgeted um, a while back. Um, and so we're moving on that. 
Um, in terms of the other piece of equipment, Dr. Azali, this is, can you tell me what that was again? It's the first I've heard of, of it. I know you have two EKG machines that um, are malfunctioning or out of order that we're buying. Um, I approved capital for that and, and those are being purchased, but what, what was the other piece? Uh, the, it was a portable x-ray machine. Okay, I'll follow up. imaging within the department. And, and okay, we, I'll follow up on it tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Trustee Esteen, any other questions on uh, with regard to San Leandro? No, I, I'm really excited about the volume increases. I think that that's always a good look. And, you know, that leads to our, uh, every new touch we have or every repeated touch we have gives us a chance to, to do what we talked about in the beginning. Yes, ma'am. To continue having good experiences. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to feel nice when you're feeling the stress of being under resourced, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so again, this, the scale of the projects are, are going to be, you know, for example, our MRI projects are really starting to, are close to coming to fruition, you know, as we're upgrading one of our scanners and we have a new scanner, a, a new magnet, and we have the portable. So, Hopefully, all we're, 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 I think my opinion is we're starting to see the boulder make some moves, uh, a little bit of rocking on the boulder. Yeah, and Trustee Bouquet, we'll, yes, have, our, we'll have our new MRI scanner, the 1.5T, in place, ready to go at the end of July at Highland. I mean, that's amazing. Mr. Which Pat. will decompress, you know, the Alameda's, the Alameda um, volume quite a bit. So we're looking forward to that. Yes, sir. And, that, and that's, a, that's certainly a big deal. Trustees, any other questions of our med staff leaders? Doctors, thank you very much as always for bringing in your report. Well, that will close item C and we will go to item D, patient safety, regulatory affairs and our TNM dashboard. We of course have our VP of quality, Ms. Ana Torres in the room. Ms. Torres, you heard one of our trustees had some specific questions on a subject close to your heart, joint commission. So I'll, I'll give you the floor for the next 10 or 15 minutes on anything you want. Trustees, of course, uh, there's a well-written well -written reports in your packet, but uh, I'll give it to Ms. Torres. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. So I will start, um, I am sharing my screen. I will start with the True North metrics. Uh, so this is data for the month of April, and you'll see that for year today, we only met goal with one uh, of the metrics, and that's the age caps. We did better for the month of April, uh, where we met with on four of the 10, um, and you'll see that we met with the HAIs, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, also, what's happened is that we've seen a decrease in the COVID admissions, so that is also helping to positively impact our um, metrics. Um, I wanted to call out the HAIs, the uh, hospital acquired infections. This is an area that we're watching very closely. We did uh, talk about the um, leapfrog just a few minutes ago, and these HAIs do play heavily into our leapfrog goals. There's other areas, but this is one of the areas that have been affecting us at all hospitals. And San Leandro and Alameda in particular did really well um, which is one of the reasons they earned a B. So, but we continue to watch these very closely. Um, as I've mentioned previously, CLAPSI is the central line infections. Um, we do have 
a PI team working on that. And you can see that for almost a year, they have been below goals. So um, this is really great performance. Um, part of what we're working on, however, is to make sure that we're putting in practices into place that can sustain um, that improvement. Part of the way we're sustaining it right now is that nursing and infection control are looking at this every day and asking every day, can the lines be removed? But we wanna hardwire it so that it sort of um, becomes part of the normal practice of the unit so that automatically um, we're performing um, the practices we need to be performing. Uh, the other area we're working on is with the surgical site infections. And you can see we did well towards the end of the month, but there's a lot of active work happening. Um, we're happy to see that there were no infections, no surgical site infections in April. Um, but again, it's an area that we are still trying to hardwire practices so that we can keep that, that good performance. So patient safety, we, we do have some good news to report here. So our um, harm rate is at 327 and yes, I do recognize that it's higher than the previous two years. Um, our goal here is 3.5. And I don't know if you recall at the beginning of the fiscal year, we were hovering around 4%. Um, so we're really happy to see that 3.27%. And this is why we saw it um, so low. So you can see what's happened since January. Um, we've really seen a decrease in our, our harm rate with the all-time low of May where we were under 1%. And part of that was driven by the increase in um, safety alerts. So if you recall, it, 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 this is all nice because it's all starting to tie in together with our culture of safety. We wanna drive the reporting up and you'll see for the last three months, we were at above 500. So one of the reasons our rate is so low. Um, and I wanted to basically just draw attention to this last line here, medium time to event close. And you can see how over the years it's decreased. Um, this is really work across the organization on the safety alerts. Uh, there is a new MIDAS upgrade that we're going to be seeing in early July, um, which will also help hopefully um, help us see an increase in reporting because it's gonna streamline the entire process. But the median time right now from event, uh, from the time the event is reported to close is three days and that, that's excellent performance. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then just patient relations um, events by month. And you can see that for the last uh, three months, it's gone down. We did have a blip up here, but essentially it, it has started to come down. This is one version of our customer service, right? Correct. A, a, uh, a quant for our customer service. Yeah. Correct. Um, and then just a brief update, update on the score survey. So we are now, this is the entire timeline right now, we are at the debrief section. So until July 31st, the debriefs are occurring across the organization. The results um, are, have been shared with the staff. Uh, then neutral uh, facilitators are conducting the debriefs and then the action plans will be developed with the frontline staff. For regulatory affairs, I'm just gonna give a brief overview, but when we get to closed session, Nilda is gonna present the detail on the findings. So in June, Alameda Hospital finally had the survey. It was a split survey, meaning that Joint Commission had two different, um, two different survey teams in June, June 1st and 2nd. 
the clinical portion of the uh, survey was conducted. On June 10th, the life safety portion was conducted, meaning they looked at the environment, they looked at um, fire safety and so forth. Um, Alameda had a great survey. Uh, very, I think there was only one finding that was in the red area. Everything else performed really well. So excellent performance from Alameda Hospital. Um, and I think it really showed their preparedness and their, their diligence in, in actually staying survey ready. Because if you recall, you just don't know when the Joint Commission is going to come. They showed up months late, but the hospital did really well. So kudos to them. There were no condition level findings. Um, one nice thing is at the opening session, the Joint Commission um, did mention that they wanted to hear about equity because that's something that they're developing standards on. Um, we did have a, a presentation by Mr. Jackson and Ms. Um, Tangerine Brigham, and the Joint Commission was extremely impressed and in fact said that our hospital, our system was ahead of many other um, hospitals and they asked for information that they can take back and share uh, with the Joint Commission because they did cite that that was the best practice that we had. Um, so next steps, um, we are reviewing the actions, uh, actually developing the action plans. One of the things that NILDA's team is working on is that when we develop the action plans, we're actually looking across the organization because Alameda really, Alameda Hospital provides us a roadmap for where we need to look um, within the system. So any action plans that um, are being developed. We're looking across the system to make sure that they're implemented um, system-wide. Uh, those will go into the joint commission and um, then we will get into the monitoring phase. Uh, the only other thing I will mention is that with the uh, stroke survey Alameda Hospital had, those action plans were submitted and accepted by the joint commission. So Alameda Hospital, great job. And that's all I have. Are there any questions for me? Trustees uh, and Trustee Banerjee. Um, thank you, Anna, um, for the report. I want to go back to the true not uh, metrics. Um, are you um, is, are there data stratification for that to see like for harm hospital acquired infection, all the sub levels, but also some of the others? Uh, are we uh, regularly stratifying the data? Yes, for the True North metrics, we, we are. So we have data for each hospital. What this report shows is all the hospitals um, into one report. Yeah. yeah, and I meant stratification by facility and then stratification by race, ethnicity, anything linguistic, like real, anything um, else that, that we can see what the patient experiences by our demographic. So we will have that with the no true north metric report. On this one, we do not have the data yet. Okay. So I, I should say the data is available, but we're not using it in that manner yet. But we will be when we have the new report, which we expect in about two months, in about September, mm -hmm. we think. Okay. Oh, September. <laughs> so Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, and great job, Alameda Hospital team. I mean, that was an incredible survey. Um, you know, kudos to the to the hard work and dedication of so many. Thank you, Trustee Manergy. Thank you, Ms. Torres. As a, as a comment and reminder uh, uh, to the public and our and ourselves as trustees, 
we approved uh, a, a new set of uh, a new dashboard, but we also agreed that we wanted to let this dashboard run out as the quality team gets their cadence on building the data set for that. So we probably won't be uh, uh, truly meeting the new dashboard. Ms. Torres, what are you estimating? August, September? I, I'm thinking September. Okay, so, uh, September. And then maybe as a preview, this is a little point of dialogue on how we present. Trustee Banerjee, you, you asked a wonderful question as to how is how are each of these True North my, my, uh, TNM items, can they be exploded? The answer is, of course, they can be exploded. How do we do that? How do we grapple with this data? I think a working plan that, that I've had discussion with both uh, Dr. Tornabene and Ms. Torres is maybe at each QPSC, we take one of those items and explode it uh, uh, by by race, by DEI, by hospital. Um, and so we'll, let's continue to have that dialogue on how we explode, if you will, the, 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 the feeding data to those two North items um, along this pathway. What do you think about that trustee Banerjee? Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. And I, I do think that uh, whether they whether you present it to the board or not, I'm, I'm presuming that you will be seeing the gran granular level data too, or do you not even see it at this point in time? You're building towards it uh, that you don't, the facility-wise or race-wise is not visible right now? We are not looking at it in that way right now. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, but when you start in September, uh, even if we do one for the full board, but you will be looking at all of them, right? All of the true not metrics and seeing, um, seeing the stratification. Yes, yes, we will. We Ultimately. Will be yeah, that is absolutely the intention. It's it's a um, question of just building out the yeah, like going through the process of the metric builds to yeah. for for all of the metrics. But absolutely, that's the intention. And and, and we're gonna stumble, and then we'll continue to refine. It's, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, still work in progress. But thank you for that. That that's going to give us like such good rich data. Thank you, Ms. Torres. No. Trustee Esteen, did you get the answer uh, uh, The answer to your questions about the Joint Commission? I did, yeah. I'm really excited for the results and for the uh, attention that our leader, uh, Mr. Jackson, got. And along with uh, Tangerine, I think it's wonderful. Yes, ma'am. And the other, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I didn't hold on to the other person's name who was presenting as well. That got oh. accolades from the Joint Commission. It was both of them. It's both of them, not a third person. Okay, I made that third person up. It happens. <laughs> um, thank you, Ms. Torres, and the quality team, as always, um, as well. With that, we will close out item D, as in David, and we'll move to item E. Uh, just to refresh for everyone, uh, this item is a new standard item we've had now for, I don't know, six, eight months or so, where we get to highlight uh, uh, if you will, a quote, quality improvement project. Sometimes it's not a quality improvement project, it's just quality care that we're offering here. So I'm pleased to introduce, into, introduce our uh, QI project, which is the Pelvic Pain Program. Uh, this evening, we have Dr. Rebecca Fallick, who's our Director of the Endometriosis and Pelvic Pain Center, and Teresa Randall, who's the manager of our rehab services. They're gonna be talking to us about um, a pretty important issue um, which uh, sometimes GI confronts as well. So 
Uh, with that, I'm gonna open the floor to both of them. Good evening, uh, Dr. Falk. good evening, Ms. Randall. We usually give around 10 to 14 minutes of presentation time, and then we'll open it up for Q&A, if that's acceptable to you. I will Thank go you ahead and- um, Carrie, do you wanna go ahead and put up our presentation? Great. So tonight we'll be taking this opportunity to present on the Endometriosis and Pelvic Pain Center at Alameda Health System and the pelvic physical therapy uh, component of that um, in particular as well. I'm Rebecca Fallick, I'm the director of the Endometriosis and Pelvic Pain Center, um, and I'm an OBGYN. And I'm Terry Randall, I'm a physical therapist and I'm the manager for rehab services here at Highland. So to summarize the problem that um, this center is solving, um, chronic pelvic pain, is dis it disproportionately affects the quality of life and disability status of low-income patients in a safety net population. Of course, it affects people from all populations, but more so our patients. Often, a history of trauma, sexual relationship issues, and physiologic abnormalities can all combine to create a complex vortex of disability for these patients. Physical activity, sexual intercourse, family planning, holding down a job, even sitting, all of this and more can become nearly impossible. And um, patients at Alameda Health System who have a need for pelvic physical therapy really are best served by a physical therapist who specializes in physical therapy for the pelvic floor. And we did not have a physical therapist here at Alameda Health System who specialized in pelvic physical therapy. So patients were referred to outside facilities for this service. Then unfortunately in 2021, Medi-Cal and Medi-Cal HMO insurance plans stopped, um, or other facilities stopped accepting uh, Medi-Cal and Medi-Cal HMO insurance plans. And so our patients were really left with no options to receive this care. And at that time, um, approximately 10 outpatient referrals per month were generated for pelvic physical therapy. And so establishing a pelvic physical therapy program here at Highland Hospital would ensure care for these patients. Here you can see a list, I won't read it all, of causes of female pelvic pain. Um, pelvic pain that I treat is in patients that were born as um, assigned female. And um, the pelvic pain that the physical therapist can treat, it can be for people of all um, sexes. I'll go a little bit in particular um, into detail on endometriosis, um, which is one of the main causes of pelvic pain in women. Um, and I have a fellowship training in minimally invasive surgery um, with a focus on endometriosis surgery. Um, so, Endometriosis is one of the major causes of pain, but also infertility, and it affects one in 10 women at least. Uh, it takes an average of seven years for a woman to receive a diagnosis, um, which is a really immense amount of time for her to be suffering essentially without knowing what's going on or necessarily being believed, um, and even longer as you can imagine with the patients that we take care of. What is it? Um, as this picture shows, it's an often painful disorder in which the tissue similar to the tissue that's normally inside of the uterus, inside, 
becomes ectopic, goes outside of the uterus. And um, that tissue can really start to encompass and scar up around the fallopian tubes and ovaries, as well as honestly, almost any other organ in the body um, uh, and the bowel and the rectum and bladder for sure. It's treated in a multimodal coordinated interdisciplinary approach. Um, we start with hormonal medications such as the birth control pill. Um, and we use um, NSAIDs judiciously. We use um, uh, neuromodulators such as gabapentin, um, venlafaxine, Cymbalta, Lyrica. Um, and then with fertility workups and there are other workups and medications that go hand in hand with endometriosis treatment um, to look inside of the uterus with a hysterosalpingogram, um, uh, Clomid, Letrozole, those are medications to help them try to conceive. Um, there's a pain psychology um, component, which is really imperative in their treatment. Um, and that's a type of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, pelvic physical therapy, um, and that, that um, is essentially for um, after having suffered so many years of pain, many of the women's pelvic floor muscles, like the muscles of the vagina and around the, the anus, um, start to get very, very tight and sore and cause tremendous disability. Um, and then we really steer very much clear of opioids. Um, I do start patients on Suboxone um, if they have been opioid dependent and need to stay on something like that. And laparoscopy is the only method for definitive diagnosis and treatment. So this is the surgery that I do. Uh, I'm babysitting all three of my children with no one, so I'm trying to watch them and keep it quiet too. Um, okay, so this is the surgery that uh, I specialize in, and I use a laser to excise all of this scar tissue and um, and these are the endometriosis lesions. It's a very classic example. Um, removing these lesions can greatly decrease women's pain and can increase their chances of conception. As I mentioned, it's a minimally invasive surgery. Many can go, if they're working from home, they can go back that same week to work. And pelvic physical therapy really can be an instrumental tool, both for the treatment and recovering for for somebody that's had pelvic pain and pelvic pain, pelvic floor dysfunction. And therapists use a variety of modalities, uh, joint mobilization, myofascial release, visceral mobilization, therapeutic exercises, um, patient education is an integral part, biofeedback, self-care and home management tools. Patients are seen for about 45 minutes every other week in average of eight to 12 visits. And patients with endometriosis do benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. It provides them not only a better understanding of the cause of their pain, but also to help them manage their symptoms and improve the quality of their life. So um, a pelvic pain center is definitely the standard of care. Um, and that said, it's not uh, a common thing to find necessarily at a community hospital in this day and age yet. Um, so um, we have, we're, we're starting um, from the ground up a state-of-the-art integrated treatment approach for these patients um, to get them quite literally back on their feet again, re-engage in relationships and work. Um, it includes a physician, um, so that's me, um, an advanced practice provider. Uh, you'll see a photo later of this, our phenomenal uh, nurse practitioner, Sarah Minahan, 
a pain psychologist, pelvic physical therapist, and a social worker. Um, currently, we don't work with one particular social worker. Um, in terms of pelvic physical therapy, we do. You'll also see a photo later of Tia, with whom we um, have started to have and we, we brought her on to join this, this center. And uh, for pain psychology, um, John Lang is the pain psychologist in the chronic pain clinic at AHS. And he has um, volunteered his two PhD students to work with our specific pelvic pain patients currently. Um, and so patients can be referred from AHS or from all of the outside clinics. It used to take about up, not on, uh, often up to six months to see a pelvic pain provider because that was I was all alone. Um, and now we're down to two to three weeks because we, I have a partner, Sarah. So in October 2018 is when we officially opened the center. And then our nurse practitioner um, came a couple months after that. Tia, the physical therapist, came one month after that. And that's when I moved from the women's clinic to the specialty clinic. And for development of the physical therapy treatment program, um, Dr. Fallick identified that we indeed did have a need for this program. And she reached out to Highland Rehab Services so in order to explore creating a pelvic PT program. And Richard Espinoza and me, we uh, collaborated with Dr. Fallick um, to determine how could we help support a pelvic PT and we partnered with finance, regulatory, and compliance departments because we wanted to ensure that all compliance regulations were considered, that all our billing codes were accurate, and they were appropriate for reimbursement. And we also had to identify a treatment space, um, a, a private treatment room. And then we also had to identify and purchase specialized equipment for the pelvic physical therapist. And Tia, our um, pelvic PT, began treating patients for pelvic dysfunction at Highland in November of 2021 and on a part-time basis. And we monitor our, our referrals uh, to monitor the growth for potential need in for expansion. And uh, Tia communicates regularly with Dr. Fallick and the other providers um, regarding patient status. And we receive referrals both from AHS internal providers and our CHCN external partners. The vast majority of our referrals are received from the women's clinic at Highland, Eastmont, and Newark Wellness Centers. Um, we are getting more from our external partners. And then we had to work with the EPIC analysts um, so that we developed a method for sorting our referrals so that we could easily identify the referrals for pelvic physical therapy in our work queue for scheduling purposes. And when we're um, at full capacity, we can schedule approximately 40 appointments per month. That includes both evaluations and follow-up visits. And our outpatients referrals uh, for pelvic PT have continued to increase really demonstrating the need for this service uh, to approximately 30 referrals right now waiting to be scheduled. And to date, 88 patients have been scheduled for pelvic physical therapy evaluations. And pelvic floor physical therapy provides services for our patients, uh, men, women, transgender, and non-binary individuals 
pelvic pain, and as you can see the list, um, a, a, a vast majority, uh, pregnancy, postpartum, joint dysfunction, um, incontinence, GI distress. There, there is a lot of need. Uh, for next steps, as the pelvic floor therapy continues, um, we're monitoring referrals to determine the potential need for growth. And there's ongoing communication and collaboration between the rehab services department and the endometriosis and pelvic pain center. So this is just a photo of all of us uh, three that are the on the ground um, folks for the most part taking care of these patients and all three of us really um, coordinate and collaborate quite a bit. Um, as I mentioned, Sarah Minahan, um, she was a midwife with us um, at AHS for the past four years and then came on now in this new capacity. And Tia has a really robust practice also outside of AHS. So currently we just have our two half day clinics per week. Um, we definitely, as um, Terry mentioned, are going to have, we, we need to expand. Um, and so it may not be her um, because she also has a very robust other practice. And so we can talk more about that if there are questions about that. So as I mentioned, I work at Eastmont Wellness Specialty Clinic. I do surgery at Highland and Alameda Hospitals. The pain psychotherapy we already discussed is through John Lang's practice at AHS. And um, the pelvic physical therapy is at Highland currently. Um, my dream would be that we would all be together in one center. Um, a patient would be able to come and schedule multiple visits. So they'd spend three or four hours and have all of their, their services done taken care of during that morning. Um, and we would all be able to talk on that morning before seeing those pa that patient about um, our, our collective plan for the patient. So that's what's in the works. Um, the way we decided to start this center was really just one thing at a time. First, we created a title, then we moved me to a new clinic where it was going to be more doable to have more time with the patients. Then Terry was on it to get the physical therapist. Then Irina Williams invited me to work more closely with John Lang. So really just one step at a time, but hopefully we'll bring it all together with time, even more than that. And of course, it wouldn't have been doable without the help of um, all of these incredible champions within my department, Kevin Smith, Chitra Kaliswaran, Lana Lee, Terry White, Sally Miss Kelly. Um, Richard has been so instrumental, Richard Espinosa, Irina Williams, um, and um, I just mentioned everyone here at Eastmont and the MAs and PSRs that have really made it happen. And it has not been smooth. There were a lot of epic changes that, that needed to go on and calling 70 patients who had been accidentally told to go to the wrong place, et cetera. So everyone has been such a team teamwork that's really made this work. Thank you for your time. Uh, and we're here to answer any questions you may have. Thank you so much. That's great. I'll definitely have some comments and questions in, in a second. I'll go, I think, Trustee Banerjee, then Dr. Torna Bennett. Thank, thank you. This is just such an incredible and amazing, um, you know, just demonstration of what a multidisciplinary care team looks like and to have this come together. I, um, and 
we it, it ties to our uh, the our reading of the day this is about like patient experience and comfort and to see them holistically not uh, it, and to improve the quality of of their life so thank you to everybody who made this happen and uh, i uh, hope that you know it, it's it's an iterative process like you said as you're building it together but uh, great to see the external um, things, uh, you know, referrals coming as well. I mean, to think that all this time, because of the um, billing, the medical, that it was we were sending people out of our systems so on so many levels. This is um, this is such a win-win, but also working closely with CHCN and our outpatient folks as well. So congratulations and thank you to the group, to all of them who, who've made this possible. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Dr. Tornan Bene. Uh, yeah, I, a little bit related to Dr. Banerjee's question. Thank you so much for this presentation. It's an amazing program. Um, what do you see as the timeline for this kind of growth and expansion? Um, you know, you're already starting to allude to perhaps we started need to look at a little bit more rehab time. Where do you see as the timeline for that? Um, so we haven't, I think that's probably the next step that we okay. need to talk about. Um, and I've sort of been really satisfied with every step of getting to where we are now, but as you, as I've mentioned, I have a dream of really making it even more integrated and cohesive. Some of it's just taking some patience. Like um, for a while, we were working really hard to get the pelvic physical therapy at Eastmont. And as you recall, there were a lot of holdups there. Um, that was really outside of my specialty. I don't really know exactly. It had to do with this FQHC, can't bill within a clinic for physical therapy, et cetera. But I've been told that that's being worked on. Um, so probably at some point um, we, you know, I, I can just sort of draft up what what's next. Um, I have spoken with a, a psychologist um, who is interested in potentially working with us. Um, and so that would be really, really exciting if we brought her on. I haven't even mentioned that to Kevin yet. Um, but so that's been my approach is just really one thing at a time and building it piecemeal like that for better or for worse. I don't know. Thank you. Uh, that. And I, I just also want to um, appreciate, you know, you and Dr. Smith and, and Terry and Richard and everyone who went into building this is really, um, and I think it was Dr. Smith who talked to me about that there was this hole in the community, that there was a gap and, and, and that, you know, through the, the kind of vision of the leaders here, we're able to get this off the ground and then provide that service to a community that truly, to me, um, really embodies what we're here for. And so thank you for that. It's true. There was a gap. These patients um, just get ignored. Um, they get blamed for their issues oh, you don't like the side effects of birth control pill, sorry. You know, here, try this Norco. Like really awful. Um, and the relationships disintegrate. Um, so um, it's just one of our systemic things that we just don't take women's issues seriously enough. Um, and so thankfully our, our organization now is doing so, yeah. Dr. Smith, good evening, sir. You're on mute, Kevin. 
Good evening. I, I wasn't quite clear on the protocol whether we could anybody could speak at this board meeting or not. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't just take a moment to reflect. When I took this job in February of 2019, um, maybe March of 2019, Becca came to me with this proposal and um, has driven us to this point with her passion. And I could not be more proud of, of her and what she just displayed. Um, I, and she does it always with this same kind of happy, forward-thinking demeanor, though the, this, the um, bumps we talked about <laughs> were, were intense. Um, I, I wanted to bring up a couple points um, that should not be glossed over. Um, it is not usual to have a pelvic floor physical therapist anywhere. And, and we have one here. And Tia is not just a pelvic floor physical therapist. She is amazing. Yeah. And we've, we've had patients that Becca and I share. I've also, we did the same MIGS fellowship, although mine was a generation before hers, perhaps. Um, and uh, we've shared a patient, which I would call kind of a um, difficult management case. And she met Tia and her life changed. Like she basically called and said that to me. Um, the other piece I wanted to mention, and Felicia, you you brought it, you alluded to it, is um, when I was in training, it was in the Green Journal, which is the Bible of the American College of OBGYN in terms of um, scientific data, that um, for pelvic pain, if it's a black woman, you rule out PID, i.e. sexually transmitted infection. For white women, you rule out endometriosis. That was like what I had to write on an exam. Like that was the right answer. And um, since then, obviously that data has been um, corrected and changed, but how, how that's translated to practice remains to be seen. I think, you know, there's another piece of this, which is the data that we will ultimately get from Becca's work. But yeah, that's what I was talking about, Felicia, with this care gap. When, when two different patients come in, how are they triaged? And if it's seven years for someone who's presumed to have endometriosis to be worked up, you can imagine how long it takes for someone who's presumed to have an STD to be worked up. I have to mention um, Richard Espinosa and Jerry Randall, who were so wonderful and collaborative in this process. And um, though we ended up, in quote, settling for um, the... ACT site because of the FQHC um, strategy that we have. It's an, um, and that, and that was just so we, we wanted to co-locate, but it's an amazing, amazing facility. I almost feel like we should move things over, over there. Um, but, I, and, and I don't know, all of you leaders on the, the call who've made this happen, I'm, I'm, I'm really full right now. I mean, I think I'm getting to that age where like things just make me cry for no reason, but, um, I'm really full watching this presentation and seeing this um, come to volition. And, I, and, I, and all of you have had some touch point in it. And so proud of you, Dr. Fallick. You are a champion for women's health and um, really kudos. Thank you, Dr. Smith. Mr. Espinoza. 
So I would just say that to Dr. Smith, uh, there's good reason to have tears around this for uh, tears of joy, but um, I wanted to tie this back into customer service, not only for our patients, but amongst our AHS teams. Like this was a, a remarkable collaboration to be able to work with our docs who had identified a need and we were able to collaborate with them and say, how do we um, have a culture of yes? And how do we serve a population that we identify there was a gap for and do it in a way that met regulatory compliance, that met billing standards so that we get paid for the services that we do um, and to do it in a way that we helped develop the processes in EPIC to make it an easier process for our patients, for our doctors, for our therapists. And so just a remarkable collaboration to see something like this um, come from an idea and a thought. Um, and I remember having these conversations with Dr. Smith and Dr. Fallick early on and bringing Terry in early saying, how do we make this happen? And so we are looking at therapy in the FQHCs, but we didn't want to wait. We wanted to see well, instead of waiting to bring this on board in the FQHCs, how can we do this today yeah. in a different location so that these patients can be seen today while we work on this other process? And so, you know, I'm with you, Dr. Smith and Dr. Fallick and Terry and others and, and Felicia, that it, it was just, uh, and, and Mark and James for saying, yes, let's, let's build something when we see there's a gap and to encourage that. Um, facilitation of uh, collaborative working customer service together. So I too, Dr. Smith, have um, butterflies in just seeing how this has come off the ground and, and that we're really serving folks who really need it. Thank you, Mr. Espinoza. Can I so, join this love fest? Yeah, trustees, Dean, then, uh, then Banerjee. And then I mean, I really up. appreciate this. And Dr. Smith, thank you for pointing out that this is rare to see uh, care being given that is really attuned to the need of women, that we're not going back to the old time where everything is a hysteric. I mean, at one point in the presentation, I saw the word, his, you know, the, the prefix, and I was like, oh, there we go. And knowing that that is the origin and the view that has historically gone into women's health and pelvic issues, and that this has been dealt with in a way that was speedy and thoughtful and also collaborative. I am super proud of this and will brag on it. I, I feel like I got a journal from um, my alma mater from Samuel Merritt a few months ago talking about how there was a physical therapist who 10 years ago went to UCSF and pioneered uh, pelvic physical therapy. And I was like, wow that's great. You know, women suffer with incontinence and pelvic inflammatory issues and pain, and it is never diagnosed. And this is what happens when we have women who are leaders, women who are inquisitive, women who are willing to put their neck out. And so I appreciate all of the efforts that went into making sure that this wasn't something that waited, you know, to see a need and fill a need and to recognize that these patients have to have treatment. I, I love it. This is how we you know, whatever the leapfrog scores look like, this is how we make excellence. So thank you all for making excellence. Thank you, Trustee, Trustee Banerjee. And thank you all for making excellence. And again, um, what Richard, what you said, you know, how do we get to yes? And I am in one of my conversations with you, you had mentioned something that I'm going to give total credit to you when I say this, but this ties into 
I think from what Dr. Joshi spoke about, like the leadership uh, chairs training and education as well, but uh, Richard had mentioned that it's so important for folks to cross pollinate with each other. And so for, because sometimes we can be hospital centric for folks to go out and meet, like see rehab, like visit each other and like learn from each other because just what this magic that happened here, how many other needs there must be happening that could be, um, you know, um, could be met again for our patients. And that's why we, for, that we are here for. So how might we kind of build our muscle during these foundational, foundational years of our strategic, uh, you know, implementation of our plan where our hospital folks are going out to the ambulatory or specialty clinic or, or other places. And then that, that crisscross that is happening to see how might we uh, surface more of these. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. I'll just, uh, um, uh, I can't say more than, uh, than than that has already been said, uh, um, but I will jump in. You know, this this is extraordinarily unique. You know, a pelvic floor, pelvic pain clinic is 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 quaternary level care in many organizations, and they and they don't have it. I trained at an organization where they did have it, and even then, it was very niched. It requires extraordinarily well trained and people who are dedicated to this. And I think that from an organizational point of view, this was a great exercise because we cannot build everything. We cannot. So it's a great discussion in consideration of build versus buy. And, and, and do we buy, i.e. farm services out? Cir circumstances compelled us, right, Dr. Fallick, they, no one was gonna cover it. And we happen to have a, a, an array of experts here which probably wasn't happenstance. I'm sure Dr. Smith had some design here in, in making this, uh, uh, setting the environment for our success. So I love hearing these stories of success. This is, this is very important niche work and I think it should be applauded and, and, and fed and watered uh, so that, that, that it can continue to grow. Uh, as a gastroenterologist, many of my patients cross over this. Dr. Falk, I didn't even know this clinic existed. Uh, I have patients with proctalgia fugax. I have patients with all these kind of things. So this becomes a service that, 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 that our team can collaborate with you and then help you maybe have discussions about building it further. Anal rectal manometry, endoscopic ultrasound. What yeah. are the things that we can do to help build that? So what a great discussion and good for the organization. And um, thank you to all these leaders who helped bring this to the start of the beginning, I suppose, with this. Yeah. I, just if, if I might, Taft, yes, uh, I just want to, I don't want you to miss that the surgery itself is extremely difficult. Yeah, I don't miss that. <laughs> yeah, Becca is um, at another, a higher level of expertise around this actual type of surgery. We, we were in the OR what, last week taking endometriosis off the ureters of, yeah. of, and, and kept, you know, the ureters intact, thank goodness. Uh, Kevin was, you were a little nervous. <laughs> you know, I've seen a few things. So, um, but anyway, I just, I, I didn't want the team to not hear that your, your level of surgical expertise is a big part of this as well. The expertise on this group of disorders is not lost uh, and, 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 and bears re-emphasis as you just did, Dr. Smith, that, that this is quaternary level care from my perspective and actually from everyone's perspective. There are, there are very few people, very few teams that do this around the country. 
you know, Dr. Falk, there might be less than 50 teams like this that do this around the country, right? I mean, I first came up with the idea when um, Sophie Shabel hired me mm -hmm. and um, she said, oh, you do endometriosis? How about pelvic pain? Yeah. So then um, I had like a four week old baby on, on my, in the carrier and I went to the International Public Pain Society meeting and just interviewed everybody I could. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, I took notes from uh, one group that had created exactly basically what we've created a m much more established version and it was from Cambridge mm -hmm. um, in England. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just had like one page of notes and that's sort of what I've been going with for a bunch of years. Um, and I just wanted to add um, two quick more things. One, I love that um, um, Taft, I would love to sort of start to have some dream meetings where we get together and hear what other specialties, how they could imagine collaborating with us. Um, and, and that's really exciting to me. And secondly, I wanted to say, and I have never actually put this into words. Um, I am so satisfied as a physician and I've become more and more satisfied as this has come together. Um, and so it almost feels like a joke to me to have everyone like appreciating me for this right here on this meeting. Cause it's sort of like, oh, I just secretly like made something work for me. Um, but um, it's, there's, there's something really critical and key there um, since especially a lot of these discussions on these forums are about physician well-being um, and people who are so well-trained feeling so exceedingly unheard and um, not supported in doing what patient care. Um, and so I just recognized basically I couldn't do all of this by myself. These patients were deserving and we need X, Y, Z, Q, R, S, T, all these other providers for them. And so now I get to really focus on, on my patients because, because I have a team. I'm so happy for you, Rebecca. It's fulfilling, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm happy for our patients as well and for the system. Um, with that, we'll close out this item and that uh, will go now to the last item, which is um, calendar and issues. Um, I think, uh, Madam Clerk, uh, thank you to all the presenters. Uh, Madam Clerk, I think the only thing on our issue list, we talked about ethics before, we'll put that on our to-do list. And yeah. with that, um, council. The quality committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Uh, public, uh, thank you for your time. I'm estimating closed session to be around 30, 35 minutes or so. Um, uh, to the public, thank you for coming to the meeting. Uh, presenters, great job this evening. And uh, everyone have a great evening. We're back into open council. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The Quality Committee of the Board met in closed session and approved the medical staff reports. The Board, the Quality Committee took no further reportable actions. Thank you, Council. With that, we conclude the June 22nd, 2022 QPSC. Everyone have a great evening.